Trigger Warning Sexual Abuse and Rape Last week, we spoke about child sexual abuse. But who are these predators? And how do they go about this traumatizing behavior? In today's episode, let's look at signs we need to be weary of. This is part two of a three-part series on child sexual abuse. This is Mind Your Mornings with Anna Chandy, a fortnightly podcast that takes you on the journey to a brave new you. Episode 14 Hi and welcome to Mind Your Mornings. I am Anna Chandy, your host for this podcast. Over the last 27 years, I have worked with more than 1,000 people, both individuals and families. And through this podcast, I want to bring to you what I have learned about life and its nuances through the experiences of people I have interacted with. Child sexual abuse is often known and brushed under the carpet. But sometimes, in my work with family systems, I see parents shocked on learning that their children were sexually abused by a neighbor, an aunt, the driver, or a coach. Why does a family that is seemingly invested in the children discover the this months or even years later. Sometimes this has been happening in their own home under their own watch for so long. I reflected on this and realized not many of us understand the motives of a predator. As young parents, we are never taught to look for the warning signs in a person or give attention to difference in behavior in the people we most trust because unconditional trust is what the Indian family system is founded on. But data from across the world shows that 90% of sexual offenders are someone the family knows, likes, and trusts. In most families, the predator is the most liked, gentle, and even charming as a person. They are generous and giving. All of this makes us lower our guard. What we don't realize is this outward persona especially created to gain the trust of adults and eventually get access to their children. Child sexual abuse very rarely happens in a sudden moment. It is planned, calculated, and manifested over days, months, and years. That is why 
it sometimes takes so long for the caregivers to realize that their children are or were being abused. So what can we do to identify and avoid this rampant disease in society? To start with, we need to understand the process a sexual predator follows to identify the red flags that should make us alert and cautious. Only then can we protect our children. Let's start with the step-by-step grooming process sexual predators use to choose their victims and manipulate behavior. Step one, they target their victim. Now, sexual predators choose their victims very carefully. They will often look for children who are obedient, compliant, and gentle-mannered. They are also likely to look for children who are vulnerable, who don't get along with their siblings, or those who have low self-esteem. Especially children who have had an injury or going through some kind of traumatic event may become victims as they are in a vulnerable state. Similarly, children with special needs or mental disabilities become targets. In their assessment, predators will also look for signs of how involved the parents are with their children or whether the parents are preoccupied. How closely do the parents monitor their children's electronic communication? All this is done to ensure that the victim they choose can be manipulated without anyone finding out. So what are the red flags to look out for? If an adult who has never shown much interest in your child suddenly begins to give them unusual attention, especially if your child is vulnerable. And if someone who you barely know starts asking questions about your home life, your schedule, the kid's schedule, etc. In step two, they create trust. In this stage, the perpetrator will try to be included in the inner circle of the family. They can do this by engaging with the child or the parent. With children, they will often show special attention, shower them with gifts and praise. They might also engage them in conversation, be a good listener, and provide a sympathetic ear. This encourages the child to open up to them as they ask personal questions about the child's life, likes, dislikes, and fears. With the parent, the perpetrator is likely to be supportive and do favors. For example, bringing in grocery or dinner on a day that has been stressful for the parents, being available to do chores or run a quick errand. The parent will often start relying on them for managing the house and child, especially if they are busy. At this stage, the to-be abuser becomes part of the trust 
were the inner circle of the family. We all have helpful friends and partners around us. So when should we be concerned? If the person who you have recently started trusting shows special interest in your child, be cautious. And they start talking often to your children, take a note. Especially also keeps complimenting your child. Your child is so precious or your child is so cute, or your child is so pretty, or your child is so handsome. Any indication of the person observing and remarking on your child's physical appearance or body repeatedly should be looked at with caution. Sometimes a teacher or coach will show special interest in the child. They will compliment them more than they do for others, or speak about them with greater enthusiasm than any other child. In the case of single mothers with children, the partner might show way too much interest in bonding with your child. This is very prevalent in Western countries. After building a foundation of trust, the abuser will move to step three, which is creating dependency. Here, the perpetrator will convince the child of the special relationship they share, a bond that is unique and intimate unlike any other. With this, they manipulate the child into believing that only they, this child, is special and only this person understands the child. They also convey to the child that only they care about the child and will protect the child. By being around when the child needs them, they weave a cocoon all around the child. Slowly and subtly, the child starts becoming dependent and loyal towards them. So how do we recognize this? Children are transparent and give early signs of dependency. They might talk about an adult very fondly. This gives a clue to how close the relationship is. Or they might complain how you don't have the time for them to understand them. But they will compare you to this uncle or this aunt and say, they are always there for me. Sometimes the perpetrator will give the child a private affectionate name, a name which no one else calls by a name that makes them feel special. Another red flag is any shared gifts or conversations between just the child and the adult, which you are not aware of or are intentionally kept out of. A healthy relationship with a child is never a secret. Which brings us to step four, where the predator will look for opportunities to be with the child to abuse the child. Now that the predator is part of your inner circle, they will seek more time with your child. They may offer to babysit when you go out or take the child on an outing if you have a meeting. They might offer private coaching studies for studies or extracurricular activities. If the predator is a family member and lives with the child, they will try and sneak into the child's bedroom when everyone else is busy or not around. 
usually by this stage the trust layer is so thick that the invitations to engage the child are seen and observed as normal they are even welcomed but there are some behaviors to watch out for for example when an adult volunteers to pick up and drop your child regularly or if an adult suggests private lessons or private coaching or in the case of single mothers if your partner insists on babysitting when you're not around by now the predator has established a bond with the child and spends a lot of time with them so in step 5 they start creating a sense of secrecy they may give the child gifts sweets or toys but will bind the child with secrecy they will ask them not to tell anyone because others might get jealous they might even invent a secret game that only the two of them play together here the perpetrator will try and communicate with them privately they will find out if the child's parents have control over their phone or computer now while the perpetrator is maintaining secrecy there are some obvious signs to watch out for excess money gifts without any special occasion etc should be looked into who gave them why the child might also be more secretive about who they are talking to messaging uh emailing or might try and even hide gifts you might also observe sudden inside jokes between you and this adult and nobody else understands these jokes after all this manipulation the predator will make their move in step 6 they will try and sexualize the relationship this could start without being overtly sexual like touching the child frequently it could be rubbing the child's legs drying them off with a towel or cuddling them slowly slowly this evolves into overt sexual behavior the perpetrator might have desensitized the child to sexual ideas during step 1 to step 5 they might have talked about sex shown pornography or found excuses to be naked together the sexual activities could include fondling masturbation or sex but the predator will usually call it a secret game and give it an innocent sounding name so even if the child does bring it up in front of the other adults it doesn't raise an alarm now the signs are most obvious in this stage like we discussed in the last episode the child might show physical Im- injury or bruises or you might observe behavioral changes like moodiness feeling disappointed sad or wanting to run away but as it's happening here are the some of the red flags you could look into if a specific adult constantly asks your child to sit on their lap or they keep touching your child more frequently than they touch any other child a conspicuous sign is an adult wanting to bathe your child or any action that involves nudity a more subtle sign 
is when your child knows a lot more about sexual behavior or about their own body, something you haven't taught them. Now, as we can see, the onset of child sexual abuse is not sudden. It is planned and a calculated move. The process of child sexual abuse is known as sexual grooming. It is so subtle that the initial signs are easy to miss. And over time, the trust and dependency are so high that we become oblivious to the red flags. To counter this, every family must have boundaries, especially when you're inviting someone into your inner circle. But what happens when the perpetrator is part of the family, the existing inner circle? In my experience, I have seen child sexual abuse being extremely common in joint families. Here, the risk can be from uncles, aunts, older siblings, cousins, and sometimes even grandparents. Sadly, in some families, sexual abuse is normalized. This is known and understood, and it is often transgenerational. The mother experienced it and knows that her daughter will go through it, and so on. Here again, the mother becomes the secondary benefiter. She keeps quiet even if she knows that something is happening to her daughter because she wants to keep the family together. And so she's willing to actually overlook this. Her need for keeping the family together makes her the secondary benefiter. She might have been sacrificed as a victim as her parents tried to keep the family together. Ultimately, the thought is, it benefits the family system, so let's keep quiet and deal with it. Generation after generation, this continues. Recently, I came across a case. There were two sisters in a large joint family. One had a son and the other two had little girls. The girls were often made to sit on the father-in-law's lap. The mother of these girls were favored in the house, showered with gifts and praise. She was the secondary benefiter who gained in the situation. Like they say in a flight, put your mask on before putting it on on your child. The mother chose her survival in the house over the harm which is being caused to her girls. What the victim goes through is largely invisible to us, but the impact of this trauma is lifelong. As a survivor, they are not only impacted physically, but also emotionally. They often have trust issues or unreasonable anger, suffer from guilt, find it difficult to be in relationships, their self-esteem takes a beating, and several other issues. Many survivors keep quiet and suffer alone because they don't want to let their family down. Now I believe this is an important topic that needs to be discussed much more often. As adults and parents, we need to pay close attention to our children and help them understand whom they can trust and whom they should not. Again, I repeat, studies have found 
that 96% of the perpetrators are men and 90% of the perpetrators are known to the family. The impact of child sexual abuse cannot be overstated. It is devastating for the victim and their families. A study showed that survivors of child sexual abuse are 10 times more likely to attempt suicide. I am a survivor and have seen this in my family. I hope one day child sexual abuse will be seen as harmful to any human and we need to protect our children from its atrocities. This is part two of a three-part series on child sexual abuse. In the next episode, I will talk about victims and survivors and the impact of child sexual abuse on their adult lives. next podcast, I will be talking as part three on child sexual abuse about the victims and its impact on their lives. If you have any other themes, write in to us at Anna at AnnaChandy.com and I will address them in the coming weeks. Thank you for listening to Mind Your Mornings with me, Anna Chandy. I'll see you next week with another discovery soon. You can subscribe to me on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. And if you have anything special to write or need, please write to Anna at AnnaChandy.com. This is Mind Your Mornings with Anna Chandy, a fortnightly podcast that takes you on the journey to a brave new life.